Welcome to Creative Couch, a series of podcasts on innovation. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about Gen Z and innovation. In particular, who are Gen Z and why is innovation important? We've got three people, three guests, I should say, on our couch today, and I'm really delighted to, to introduce them. So we have Johan Kanji, who's an aspiring entrepreneur. Uh, we have Professor Steve Cummings, who's the co-director of the Atom Innovation Space at Victoria University. And we have Laura Scatchard, who is a learning producer at Vivita. Hi, guys. Welcome, yeah, welcome yeah. to the Creative Couch. Um, I'm just going to get you to introduce yourselves a bit more than that and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So maybe Laura, if we start with you. Awesome, kia ora. Um, yeah, I'm Laura and I am a learning producer. The job title sort of changes and evolves as, as my role changes and evolves at uh, Vivita Aotearoa. So Vivita, just I'll give you a short blurb for Vivita. It's uh, started in Japan about six or seven years ago and we've spread across the globe into different countries like uh, New Zealand uh, most recently. Um, Hawaii in Honolulu. Uh, we're in, yeah, we've got, a, I think, six or seven branches in Japan. We're in Estonia, Lithuania, uh, Singapore. So we're pretty widespread. Um, so we basically try to address the creativity gap in education by um, creating a makerspace and innovation hub for kids yeah, aged 9 to 15. So as a learning producer, um, I've I am sort of in, not in charge of, we work together cohesively as a team, but I pr help produce the learning content and experiences for the kids that come in. Um, I have a background in teaching. I was a high school teacher for four years, and before that I was a designer. I had a little bit of design experience in the uh, startup realm because I had just finished my design degree at Massey University. Um, so with that, those two experiences combined, I uh, sort of have created this role for myself at Vivida Aotearoa. Fantastic. How do you get the role in Honolulu? Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Funny thing is, I've just booked a trip to Hawaii for the end of July, so I am, wow. so I'm going to pop my head in and say hello to them and make myself known. But Hopefully yeah, looking, business expense, huh? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I wish. Cool. Johan. G'day. So I'm Johan. Um, I'm in Gen Z. I'm a student of uh, computer science and economics at Victoria University. This is my first year. And uh, yeah, I'm really interested in innovation, startups, especially everything in the technology space and how we can use um, technology to make life better for everybody else. So yeah. Cool. Thanks, Johan. Steve. Kia ora. Um, so great to be here. I'm the co-director of the Atom Tikahu Oteao Innovation Space at Victoria University of Wellington. Um, my background is in research into creativity and strategy. And in recent years, that's come together in looking at entrepreneurship. And given my role, I work with a lot of uh, Gen Z, you know, people like uh, Johan who come to the university or people who are further on in their uh, entrepreneurship journey who maybe come to us from organizations like Creative HQ or graduates, alumni. Um, and we seek to create a space for our students and alumni and, and people of Wellington uh, to further their creative and entrepreneurial dreams. So it's really good. I mean, I'm not Gen Z, just to clarify <laughs> for, for people. I'm Inside. very proud, very proud Gen X. So I'm here representing Gen X, but I have uh, two children who are in the younger bracket of Gen Z, a 16-year-old and 18-year-old. And uh, yeah, I think I'm really looking forward to a fascinating discussion. Oh, thanks, Steve. 
Brilliant. Um, so yeah, so let, let's get into that discussion. Um, I mean, you were, you were already kind of touched on a little bit of what is Gen Z around that age bracket. So very loosely, we can describe Gen Z as that 15-year period between uh, 1995 and 2010, anybody born in, in that. But again, it's loose. I mean, people can define it in different ways. But I'm really interested. I mean, it's so good to have a panel of this caliber and this type sitting on the couch because it's going to afford us different perspectives uh, on this question, which is, what is Gen Z? And I'm going to start with you, Steve, because you're Gen Z in your heart. You've got Gen Z <laughs> uh, kids, as you say. I mean, what, what do you, how do you describe it? I mean, the atom is the space that Wellington has needed for a long, long time. It fills a gap where young people who are entrepreneurial and need that space can go to and play. So you're, you're kind of got this wonderful opportunity to watch them in, in practice. How would you describe that generation? You know, it's so interesting because I think I was thinking about this um, uh, on the way down to this, uh, this recording. And, you know, I asked myself, well, how is Gen Z different from, you know, Gen X and all the gener generations in between? And my conclusion is it's not different at all. Um, it's just as emboldened and empowered. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's the fact that it's people of that age. And if I sort of narrow it to maybe, you know, the 16, 17, all the way up to the mid twenties. I mean, those are the people who have always driven amazing innovation in society. It's just that the current people in that age bracket are the ones that we call Gen Z now. And I think you know, I'm really looking forward to. To discussing, you know, the, the sort of innovation that, that may come from Gen Z, but um, perhaps not to kind of rule people out like myself or yourself, Colin, or a bit older, or even people who are younger who are coming through. I think Gen A is the uh, is the latest one that I've sort of heard people talking about. I think this is really about young people and innovation. So at the moment we're focusing on Gen Z, and I think that's going to be really interesting to get into. But I think this is people of any age who will remember that period in their life. And I think it's the most crucial period of a person's life because it's where you're shaping your identity, mm. those years, you know, 15 to 25. Um, and I think it's so important, and we've been through some challenges in the last few years, right? It's so important to nurture that group. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to hearing um, what Johan and, and Laura have to say about what what they see as as, as, as defining for for Gen Z. I'm just slightly over. I was 1994. Okay, <laughs> you can edit that in. <laughs> yeah, I I think um yeah I have to agree with what um Stephen has to say. Like Gen Z shouldn't just be the only generation that can innovate and can be creative, but I think one yeah, thing. Not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think one of the defining factors is the environment that we grew up in. Like the environment mm -hmm. that I grew up in with, you know, digital connectivity, having access to all this knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's so different to um, my parents' generation. Like they're always saying that they yeah. passed university without Google. Like um, we, like the environment that we, we've grown up in is so much different. And I think that's going to shape the people we're going to be. And um, just from a young age, that age of 18 to 25, when we're developing, we're forming opinions and having all that knowledge at our fingertips is going to make us form stronger opinions, better opinions and help us do better when we're older. 100%. I have to agree with that. I think as well, what's really interesting with your generation I just skip out of it, by the way. I'm 29, born in 93, so I'm just I'm the one of the younger millennials. <laughs> but um, and we get a bit of a bad rap, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Um, but I think what's really interesting about your generation, my sister's in your generation, she's 21. It's almost as if you guys, Gen Z, are, are the first generation to be as comfortable as they are or as comfortable as anyone is with this digital technology. So my generation spans quite a few people that um, have had to learn to become comfortable with mm. digital technology and have inherited the internet or or started using cell phones slightly later on in their development. So yes, I might be comfortable with it now, but in my teenage years or going through school, um, actually having... Uh, the normalcy of, of having a camera phone wasn't there and the normalcy of just going to the internet to research something wasn't necessarily there. So I went through that nice transition where I got the best of both worlds, you know, doing things manually and then coming into the, the digital, you know, more so into the digital age and it's been really exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a good point because I think Gen Z is the first digital native generation. Native, yeah. yeah. Um, you grew up with it. You know, when you were young, when you were in creche or when you were in kindergarten, it was there. I mean, you know, for Laura, your generation, your great superpower is that you you transitioned mm. so you can still understand a world before technology or before digital technology, I should say, um, and then are now, you know, comfortable, certainly more comfortable than Gen Z or uh, whatever Colin's calling himself. I don't know whether you declared a generation. <laughs> but um and, and I think this is this is uh Johan's point that um it might not be that, that that age group is is unique in and of itself intrinsically. I think when we're at that at that age, that's where we have this this innovative self belief which is so crucial. But it's the context, it's what you grow up grow up in that really, you know, provides whatever that generation's superpower is, I guess. And I think for Johan's generation, what's so exciting is what does innovation look like for a generation who is digitally native? From your point of view, I mean, because there's three of us here yep. who are looking in at Gen Z, yeah. but from you looking out, I mean, what, what do you think is unique for, for people of, of your age in terms of how you think about innovation? I think the thing that's different, especially when not just thinking about something but doing it, is that it's happening at a younger age. Like, I feel like with previous generations, it happened a bit later in life, but with our generation, we're starting to think of, you know, the real world, uh, innovation, real problems when we're quite young. And even if we're not just addressing those problems, but we're exposed to world issues, to, um, you know, all these things at quite a young age. And that's, you know, I think driving, one of the driving forces of of innovation in our generation. That's so interesting, yeah. Sorry, Laura. No, I was just going to say, I completely get on board with that. Um, having gone through the, um, the NCEA education system myself and then becoming a teacher at high school level, uh, that was, you know, not even a whole decade and I saw a massive change in, in the content I was learning to deliver um, has such such a bigger focus on envi environmentalism or, you know, actually what the challenges that the world is facing and how to make change um, and how, how we can actually encompass STEAM subjects and things like that or integrate STEAM subjects so that we come up with innovative solutions that are better for the world. Um, I don't remember when I was at school a decade ago actually um, or yeah just a bit more than a decade ago actually having such a huge focus on that. Mm. Um, 
So yeah. we've definitely moved quite quickly. That's right. I mean, there is more focus. As Colin said in introducing what, what we do in the innovation space at university, said it was a gap that needed filling. And I think you're right in terms of formal education at high school, at university, we haven't really done innovation as well as, as we should have. And I think Johan's generation might be the first that hopefully gets some benefit from that. However, you know, the counter is that I think young people have always started up businesses, but they did it differently. Um, I went to a movie a couple of weeks ago called Licorice Pizza, which is an interesting movie, but it's basically about the 1970s in, in sort of um, Los Angeles, the Valley. And I went with my, my kids were there. My 16 year old son came out worst movie ever. He said, dad, but whether you like the movie or not, it was interesting because there were young people in that movie and they started a couple of businesses. One was selling water beds. And uh, my son said afterwards, you know, I thought that was really unrealistic that a group of 16 and 17 year olds could start up a business. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you just wouldn't. So, you know, we wouldn't do it. And you're right. You wouldn't. St- I'm not. I'm, I'm assuming you're not thinking of starting up a waterbeds business anytime <laughs> no. soon. That was something that was cutting edge. Maybe I thought back you were in saying the that was the unrealistic part of it, and you were <laughs> no, going to well, say well, actually waterbeds don't exist. <laughs> but I, you know, I sort of I had this conversation with my son where I said, "Well, those kids were bored, mm. and you don't get so bored so much because you've always got this to look at." You know, imagine what you would do with the time that you had if you didn't have digital devices. If you've got the spirit to innovate, you're probably going to innovate. You're just going to do it in a different way. Um, so it's really interesting to look back at those different generations and how, you know, people my age started businesses was very different. Mm. And there certainly wasn't, we weren't taught innovation or, you know, it wasn't part of the curriculum. But, you know, if, if you want to innovate, you'll find a way. And I think that what's really exciting now is what is the way that Gen Z will find based on the context, the technology that you have around. Well, yeah, around let, let me, let's, take that, let's take that further. So, I mean, having listened to the, the points that you've made so far, you know, yes, maybe, maybe Steve, you, you've, you've got a very important point there that maybe a 15-year-old back in 1850 compared to 1900 compared to 1950, they have the same drive, the same spark of innovation, the same desire to take on the world, to, to give two fingers up to, you know, the, the older generations. Absolutely. But the, the, the fire that shapes that generation, you know, what, what they've gotten through will is very context specific. So, I mean, if you think about Gen Z, we've mentioned first truly digital native Mm. cohort with it they're the first real sense making cohort so they've, they've got this avalanche of information constantly coming at them trying to understand what's true and what's not true that's a, a very different skill set they've been through the global financial crisis they've gone through covid or a global pandemic you know that they're, they're being forced with an urgency a different type of urgency into, into innovation into uh, and also it's an innovation in an instantly global world that they live in when you can you can just access uh, a mate living on the other side of the world within seconds and understand what's happening in in Ukraine uh you know instantly so it's a very different way of understanding the need for innovation and not only that you put in the me too movement you put in the rainbow community you put in uh, the levels of migration and being confronted with indigeneity and in, in with a very different voice it's it's a new world um so how does that define, with all of that said, what does that make Gen Z? I and mean, what, what defines them? How would you describe them? All of that said, that's slightly different from the 1950 version or the 1850 version. Full. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say it's they're very full. There is a lot going on. And, and something that I was thinking about saying, and, and this could come off as really negative, but it's it's more of, of a challenge that I think that we all sort of have to tackle together with Gen Z is, is that Gen Z are digital natives, but are they are they digitally literate is something that I would argue and think about because I I do I've I've had experience with different Gen Zers, different Zoomers, if you will. <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> um, and I I have seen some very digitally literate people that uh, know how to consume the media that they're cons- that they're taking in and know how to take it apart, unpack it, and, and discover what's true and what's untrue and what's ethical or not ethical, and and be able to put that hat on. Think of the relevant implications, if you will. That's a term that we have in the oh, curriculum no. of under technology, <laughs> but. There are also those that, because they're so comfortable with it and have been given this digital technology so early, um, haven't necessarily had that same education, whether that's through their schooling or their uh, parenting or whatever it is. Some of them, I think, do just eat it all up, whatever they're consuming. And you can see this with the use of particular social media, um, like TikTok, for example, you know, and that, that, you know, I was talking about this with my sister yesterday. Um, she, she's the one who brought up the TikTok thing. She, she says that it's like a numbing experience. It's a device of just, you know, it's, it's a distraction from the busyness and the chaoticness that's around us. Um, but some, some, quite a lot of users and consumers of that sort of media aren't actually registering what it is they're taking in. They just know that at the end of a scroll, they feel awful. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not really sure yeah, I mean, why. I think that's, there, there is an issue and for all of the, the strengths. And I think this is it. And Johan said it right at the start. Every generation is innovative mm. and can contribute to innovation. But because of the different contexts, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things that I do worry about um, when I look at entrepreneurs coming through the atom or I think about my own kids and their friends is that the, the, the being digital native comes at a cost, like everything does, there's an opportunity cost, I guess, um, where I think it's really hard to get mindfulness. It's really hard to actually disconnect. Mm. And I think, you know, in innovation, in my view, there's almost two sides of it. There's one is the kind of the, the sort of frantic networking, exploring the sort of synapses popping in your brain as you make connection. And the other side of it is that that time where just for mindful contemplation. And I think that that time is quite hard because, you know, when I was a teenager and I'll implicate Colin, I'm sure when he was a teenager, often on the weekends, your choices were lie on your bed and stare at the ceiling mm-hmm. or go out and see what was happening in the street go and see what what people were doing and and knock around and go into town and explore and sort of be with people and and, and do things like that. And I think one of the challenges for Gen Z, I I think, is is how can you be digitally native but also be mindful enough to, to take a step back from that occasionally? And I don't know whether you find that in your kind of day-to-day Johan is do you find it hard to disconnect sometimes yeah sometimes I do like um definitely I think Gen Z like we are digital native but we're also digitally reliant Mm. um if you if we don't have technology we won't know what to do right um and we're so reliant on that that we sometimes I don't know if this would be the right word but we skip steps 
We okay. are skipping some of the things that we should be focusing more on, and we're just mm. skimming over the top of it Did because we're taking it for granted. Little, what do you mean by that? So sometimes, like the hard yards of innovation and you know networking and doing stuff like that, we we just use technology to do it, but we don't actually understand what we're doing. We kind of take it for granted, and yeah. So would you say that, because uh, I was talking, this is another thing that came up in a conversation with my sister yesterday, um, was the, the the lack of development of, of soft skills, like being able to talk to someone mm. and engage in a face-to-face conversation um, and be able to answer questions on the fly or be able to deal with um, conflict in person and things like mm. that. But w- when, you have, when you're constantly communicating digitally, you're able to curate exactly what is being said um, and you can send it when you want to, you can send it and then walk away from it. And so I think that that has, is definitely a challenge for some young people who don't have um, someone otherwise coaching them, uh, mm. like a parent or teacher or someone like that. Um, and that that can get in the way of innovation as well as the constantly being distracted because I think boredom definitely creates space for creativity. You know, when I, I was a kid, um, I grew up on in, in the country. My mum would do a lot of sewing and gardening and all those sort of hands-on things. And she would do some sewing and leave scrap bits of fabric around. I would have a naked Barbie doll and then in 10 minutes <laughs> have, wrap all this fabric around. She's got a dress, you know, because I was just, I'd find things to do. Um, and I would definitely, I'd go to my mum and say, I'm bored, mum, I'm bored, and start crying. She'd go, find something to do. Just find something to do. Yeah. And I would. I just would. But that's because I didn't have, there wasn't a piece of technology there to just entertain me. Um, and so that's. And actually, it's not just, and it's not, and I'm thinking about this because Laura's you know, point about that finding something to do. And now it's not hard to find something to do because mm. that something to do is right there in front of you. Mm. And actually, that's not just a Gen Z problem, right? No. Because that's my problem now. That's probably all of our problems. You now know, that we I, have it. I don't get bored enough. And it, because. And, and this is a challenge for not just Gen Z, although maybe they're the ones who are most um, embedded in it because of that digital context. But yeah, that 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 combination of the kind of the, the sort of amazing digital connections that one can make. You know, Colin mentioned before that you know, um, whereas a seventeen-year-old entrepreneur may have started a, a waterbed shop in Los Angeles. He or she wasn't thinking about a, a global network of waterbed shops. Now, you know, um, I know Johan. You know, some of the innovation stuff that you've done with, with ways of delivering coffee is amazing. And you, you're growing up thinking not just about selling that here in New Zealand, but how can I? I mean, the world's your oyster in terms of that digital connection. So I think we're all. This is a challenge, not just for Gen Z. And so we might be getting a little bit off topic mm-hmm. um, in terms of how do we. Because as Laura says, boredom is a big part of innovation. Yeah, um, and for Gen Z, do you guys get bored? Oh, I think we get bored in a different way. Okay. Like, um, like I think we're bored. We go on TikTok or Instagram, and I think we're still bored, but we're not. You know, we're still doing. We're occupied. That's a great word. Um, occupied. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. say that doing something on your phone kills boredom. I think it just occupies you for a temporary time. Yeah. And when you kind of weigh up. What are you gaining from that? Mm, you know, like meaningfulness. And yeah. I think maybe maybe it's laziness or something. But you know, being creative takes effort. You know, back back in your generation when you were bored, making a dress that that takes effort, that takes time, that takes 
brain power. But that's if it's hard. So that's something that I, I'm a real big believer in, is if something's easy or it comes naturally to you, then it's, it's not effort. But we don't create enough space for people to actually be okay with making mistakes and doing something for the first time and trying it. Mm. Um, that's why I'm so excited about my work that I do with kids because that's what part of what we're doing is setting up a physical space with all this equipment in it for kids to play and experiment and make mistakes and break things and then put it back together or take something apart. And I think actually having the opportunity to um, practice getting things wrong so that you get it's comfortable craft, right? doing it. It's like it. it becomes a craft rather than an, an occup- just being occupied by yeah. something. That that sense of applying yourself. I really like what Laura's saying. It's that, that that ability to apply yourself in something that's difficult and that's hard and you're getting it wrong and it's frustrating, mm. but then you're making breakthroughs and you're seeing your skill level yeah. increase. Now, I think it's funny because all of those things could be done digitally, right? That, mm. that, that, that um, small uh, young woman growing up on the farm today could be using a really cool app to mm. design dresses mm. but i think it's this the, the fact that if it's too easy it's not innovation yeah if it's hard to master that app if it's frustrating if you're kind of complaining to mum and dad oh no this is really hard um that's part of it and i wonder if in trying to introduce more young people to innovation in a formal way are we making it too easy or is that I mean, the thing is, you what can't do you mean turn formal? the clock. Well, you know, for example, Colin, because probably Colin has more experience than anyone here of, of teaching innovation, and we weren't taught innovation before. Um, I don't know. I kind of <laughs> you're the guy with the with the, <laughs> with the with the with the with the board with the questions, but I'm really interested. And in, you know, what do you, what do you do? You, do you think it's it's getting easier for kids to innovate? And given that we've said that easiness isn't necessarily a good thing. Mm. You know, do you, do you see any downsides with? Uh, I think it's, it's. I mean, the topic's gone towards. You know, is 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 innovation becoming more difficult almost for for Gen Z because of the we're not creating the right spaces is, is basically what we're just you know discussing here, uh, and and so that's that's really the question. It's not whether it's more easier. Is it easier? Is it more difficult? It's what I'm interested in is for, for Johan is you know, do you feel that Gen Z, the ability to have the space to, and use that word mindful, to be aware of your opportunities, does that, do you feel, you know, looking around you, that Gen Z has that time to stop and appreciate those opportunities? Or is it all going very quickly? Is it a very intense period for you with with COVID, with, uh, you know, global financial crisis, with the rapid change in technology, with thing people throwing at you all the time future of work future of study mm. future of blah future of x do you feel things go really quick and it's quite intense for you do you yeah i do think it goes quite quickly especially some more than others but i think if you're really determined you you can find time you can allocate time and you can manage and i think what's becoming harder with my generation is that things are moving so fast we're kind of not actually making time to you know make that time if that makes sense mm. like we're taking we're use i wouldn't say we're using fast moving things as an excuse but i'm i think we're using it as maybe a reason as to why we can't innovate why we can't do all these other things right i do think we need to be a little bit self-compassionate with everything that's going on because we you know 
not as a Gen Z, I think a lot of generations, uh, all generations, are struggling with um, this survival mode that we find ourselves in. And now we look at the world that we're surviving in right now, and it's you don't look at it necessarily as as a privileged person. Of course, um, I don't I don't look at my life and go, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in absolute fight or flight all the time. But at the same time, I find myself tired and I find myself anxious or stressed and not quite able to juggle all the things that I was able to juggle before um and so my body is telling me that I am stressed and that things are different um but I think we need to actually give ourselves a little bit of compassion and love here and realize that making the space to be creative is it's almost counterintuitive, you know, mm. if you force yourself, okay, at, this, at three o'clock, I'm going to clear everything and I'm going to be creative. That's <laughs> not necessarily how it always works. I think, yeah. I think exposure is a huge part of it. Mm. Um, that's something that we're trying to uh, figure out at the moment with my work is actually, can we get mentors or volunteers in who are in the creative industries, just using our space, using our equ- equipment and actually working on pro- creative projects with the kids coming in and observing and seeing what they're doing and just being inspired. You know, if my mum wasn't sewing, I wouldn't have been making the dresses out of scrap fabrics. If she didn't have broken plates around and turned them into mosaic mirrors, I wouldn't have done the same. You know, I'm just lucky I had that environment and exposure. But not everyone has that, especially with how fast everything is becoming. Parents are, but my mum also wasn't working full time. Both parents are often working full time. Mm -hmm. Or they're looking at their digital devices. So we're all kind of zeroed (laughs) in. But, you know, one of the, I mean, hearing you talk about that, Laura, I mean, one of the things that I'm really excited about at the moment is you've got this young generation who've been through really tough times Mm. and I'm now starting to think that we I mean you know touch wood that we we could be seeing a way out of it Mm. and I feel that there's this real energy which is about to arrive where you know I really feel sorry for the 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 students who've started university this year right what a terrible time (laughs) to start university you're in halls or you're in a flat and everyone's got COVID and you're all isolating that's not that's not the the amazing experience that beginning a university, you know, can and should be. But I think if we're kind of starting to see that we're through that, I think there's this real pent up innovative spirit. And we've really learned through through COVID, um, terrible and amazing time that it's been, how important some of the tactile things that Laura's been talking about are, you know, the actual actually being together with people, whether it's parents or other, you know, peers, friends. Um, so I think it's a really interesting time to see what Gen Z does. Mm, Having that's... been through these tough times, being the first digital natives, wow. Now we, as the, the world joins itself back up together, what's going to happen? What what's Gen next? Z? Yeah, what's Gen Z going to do? And let's, let's talk about that exactly. Johan, you know, your generation has been called a number of things. <laughs> but one of it that is, is indisputable is it's the most marketed to generation in history um, it's it's been it's been estimated that the, the the generation as a whole globally is worth 360 billion us dollars in terms of disposable income it's uh, it's 32 percent of the global population at the moment that that cohort that 15 year old uh, 15 year cohort does that make your generation the most important group of people on the planet oh that's a really tough question because like I'd argue that every generation is important. Every generation has their strengths and every generation has their weaknesses. Um, but I think the position that we're in, 
um, where and the environment we that we've grown up in does make us quite valuable. Mm. Um, and like, um, oh. I mean, it's a hard one. To, it's, it's, you're kind of like asking, oh, am I the most important person yeah, here in this room? I am. Yeah. And I think Johan's so humble, um, which is probably one of the reasons he's here. Um, he's, he's not going to say he's the most important person, but I will. I mean, I, I'd absolutely say that right now the most important generation at this point in time in the world is Gen Z. Um, in the same way as when I was Johan's age, the most important generation was Gen X. If we're talking about innovation because i think so much innovation comes from that and i know to make older people feel better there are often statistics that more people in their 30s and 40s start businesses than, and that's fine but if you look back and i was thinking you know what are some of the historical parallels and if you think back to the 1920s um you know we'd, we'd had the spanish flu pandemic and before that was world war one so two globally devastating events and young people, they had to put off their yeah. their youthfulness, I suppose, because they were either at war or affected by war or affected by a pandemic. And then the 20s came along and there was this just this explosion of amazing innovation that came out of that period. So I think it's in terms of, you know, it's a, it's a hypothetical question, right? There's no prize for the most important <laughs> generation right now. But I think if, if, if there was one message that, that I, you know, I'd always try and give to to everybody is that you know no generation is more important than any other. But in terms of innovation, if there's one thing that we can all do, is to try and let you know, find ways that Gen Z can let can lead us. Uh, you know, one of the things I often talk to you know business leaders with my roles at the university, and one of the things I'm always amazed about is how or how old boards of directors are in this country. You know. Um, where are the where are the young people? You know, if you're making business decisions or ch- decisions for an NFP or a charity, and you look around the table and there's no one Johan's age, there's no one Laura's age, lots of people Colin and my age. Um, so how you know if you if you if you don't give a seat at the table to to Gen mm. Z, uh, I think that had to happen in the 1920s because there weren't a lot of older people. <laughs> you know, so many people around, there was this sort of devastation. And so young people all of a sudden found themselves really in, you know, driving culture and driving innovation and driving society. So, yeah, well, the pressure yeah. makes diamonds analogy yeah. sort of comes in here um, because I really like what you were saying as well about the pent-up energy. And um, it just makes me think of Alanis Morissette saying that anger is her favourite emotion because it actually makes things happen. Anger is the, the, emotion, the strongest emotion that makes you know change. Yeah, yeah. You only never heard of Alanis Morissette. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't think yeah, so. Yeah. It's a pretty much, pretty much time. Time. I'm sure you will recognise yeah. a song or two. Um, Johan doesn't even know what a waterbed is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they are, but I've heard you that I'm comfortable. That out. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. but they were the latest thing. Probably <laughs> not worth anyway, knowing. Back to Alanis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she 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 loves anger, as is, you know you can tell it from her songs, because um, it actually makes change. It's the fire and the energy that needs to happen. Happen. And so I think it is really interesting to see what's going to happen. Um, and people like to, you know, uh, condemn the, the younger generations and bang on about how not resilient they are, et cetera, et cetera. But you guys are actually have, you guys are suffering really harsh effects of COVID. And that's got to do nothing but develop some form of resilience in yeah. you. But also, you know, it's, it's going to change. Um, I think 
the workforce, I mean, obviously the, the most obvious one is that being able to work from home is now a lot more normalized, which I think is awesome. There's also the fact that you guys having had missed out, um, on certain aspects of your education or your development, um, and becoming adults, we're going to have to change our prerequisites for particular jobs or university courses and things like that. Because what you were just saying before, why are there no young people at the table? Is because you go for, you finish uni and every job you look for is, oh, three to five, ten years experience. And it's like, oh, I need the experience to get the experience. So I think, I'd like to hope that this, what we are going through now is an opportunity for the workforce to go, there are gaps. There, there are going to be gaps for a lot of people. Hmm. So we're going to need to change our criteria. Um, and maybe that is part of that is reducing the amount of experience that's required for people to enter the work. So is this workforce. accurate to your experience? I mean, as you looking for part-time jobs, I don't know if you are, as you go through your entrepreneurial journey, is are the opportunities that rigid? So I don't think I'd be the best person to speak to this because I haven't actually looked for a part-time job yet. But I do know that like experience is one of those things that my friends especially are, are finding it hard to get and just it's you're in like an endless loop to get experience you need experience and I was really lucky because um at Wellington College we had this cafe and you could literally get work experience from that and that's given me an advantage but the thing is in the in the real world it's it's really hard really hard to get that to experience. get experience yeah yeah. And why is that? What, what are, as, it, as in the jobs that you want to get experience in or asking for experience? Is that what you Yeah, mean? I think that's one of the things. And also, this could be off topic, but I think people are wanting to start higher than previous generations, like other generations work at McDonald's, all that sort of stuff, work your way up. And I think my generation wants to kind of get in the industry straight away. Yeah, that, I don't know. I think... I think- I mean, that's what's, what's great about young people is that they want to start higher up. I think it's incumbent upon other people to, to, to let them or to not let them, but to create a pathway. And, you know, we're talking about experience. And I think we need to remember that sometimes experience is the opposite of innovation. Experience means you've gotten used to doing things a certain way. And often innovation is not knowing what that way is yeah. and finding a different way. And, you know, as I would say, um, you know, every generation in their age bracket of 15 to 25 is the most important generation, mm-hmm. partly because they don't know how how it's been done in the past. And, you know, in the 1920s, you had all these amazing thinkers who just started almost with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we, we can get from, from Gen Z is this, you know, this idea that I mean, exa- you know, for example, Colin's worked at universities as well, so he'll know that. And not to bag on universities <laughs> who pay my salary, um, but innovation often doesn't happen in a setting where you've got lots of people who have been in their roles for a long time, because instead of innovating, what you do is you talk about all the reasons why. Oh, we kind of tried something like that before, and it didn't work, so we won't do it again. Or you could do that, but it probably so and so won't approve it. And and so there's all the reasons why not to innovate, which we've learned from experience. And I think what Laura's saying is, you know, how do we let, how do we get those young people who maybe don't have the experience change the way we do things? Because if you've got experience, you're probably not the person who's going to 
look at things in a new way, in a different yeah. way. You know, the, the stuff that Johan does, you know, I remember talking to Johan a little while ago. He came to the atom. We had a conversation about this new kind of um, coffee container. And, you know, if someone my age designed that, I'd think of all of the reasons why it might not work. Mm. But I think when you're young, uh, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you want to start off, you know, at the top, um, you don't care about that. You just mm. think, I've got a cool idea and I'm going to take it to the world. So it's that energy. How do we, how do we clear a pathway for that, for that energy? And, mm. and again, you, you know that, you know, going around the country teaching innovation, Colin. I mean, if you look at something like Young Enterprise, it's, it's the world's most amazing high school innovation mm. program. Been going, what is it, 30, 40 years? And you must see, you know, one of the reasons I'm really envious of your job is, mm. is that, you know, and the stuff you've done before is you see all that un, unfettered, unexperienced desire to innovate. And that's the kind of key. How do you, you know, how do you pull that through? How do you, yeah, mm. I don't do, have any answers. No, questions. nobody does. <laughs> but do you see that? Do you see that? You know, as, as Steve described it, unfettered, maybe unfiltered is another really nice way of saying it as well. That 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 energy. Do you because you're surrounded by it? Do you see it? Are you aware of it? Yeah, I, it definitely does exist. And I think the real the question is how do we give it a platform to succeed to grow louder? Um, yeah, it, it definitely does exist. I think it exists in everybody, um, but just people f learning to find their voice, learning to um, do things um, outside of the structure that is put on us by schools and all that. I'm not, I'm not bad, <laughs> bad mouthing schools. Like, like schools are really uh, important. But you are, really. <laughs> schools are really important. And, but the thing is sometimes like the most success happens when you move away from that structure, from that, expected way of doing things well that sounds like an advert for Vita doesn't it it definitely <laughs> does it's exactly you've basically just summed up what were the reasons why we do what we do but um I think you've hit the nail on the head with the fact that we all have it in us um and there definitely is a time in our lives where it stops and having, you know, it happens at different ages for a lot of us for different reasons, but shame has a lot to do with it and, and learning, you know, that you're not going to fit in if you speak your mind and have all these innovative ideas all the time or you're not going to fit in and so you, you get shut down by your peers and then teachers might go oh, I don't know how to actually facilitate this in the classroom so I'm just going to kind of walk away from that idea and then all of a sudden you've got a kid that's bright and sunny and has all these awesome ideas and really loves to talk I'm just describing myself <laughs> and then ends up being too shy to say anything because it's too hard basket or you get made fun of. And that's what I, the, 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 the system sort of, it's not just the system being curriculum is bad and teachers are this. It's not like that. It's the whole thing together, having so many people together and all the sociological impacts of it um, and to do with it. People just have the creativity kind of squished out of us little by little. Um, and some of yeah. us manage to re retain enough yeah. of it to want to continue later on. But for some of us, sure. it gets squished out. Um, and it's really, I'll really tell sad. You, tell you what, I think it's harder for, for Gen Z than it's ever been because there are certain subtle things that are now kind of imposed upon young people. You know, it's really interesting because we, you know, as Colin at Creative HQ does, you know, we run a number of um, accelerators, uh, programs, 
And it's interesting, you know, young people today feel that every business venture has to have a social purpose, mm. has to have an environmental purpose, has to have all of these other purposes. You know, back in the day, the purpose was to just to create cool products and make mm. money. Mm. Um, and it was interesting, you know, Colin might know Tui Tahao as well, you know, who was involved with Creative HQ now at the National Library, an amazing woman. And she was one of the panelists at an accelerator we ran over the summer. And she kind of summed up, she said, look, I think it's really great that all of this, this generation is unique. They want to do good socially and they want to do good environmentally and they want to do good culturally, but you don't have to. It's okay just to make a business and the social good that you might do is create a great business that hires some people mm. or creates great products that people really, really like. So I think, you know, I think it's incumbent upon, um, perhaps some, some of us in older generations to give people and younger generations a break because they got a break. I mean, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you're starting up a business. You didn't need a social purpose. You didn't need to give, donate 10% of your profits to the SPCA or to, um, you know, other worthy charities. All of those things are fantastic. But that's, those are values that an older generation have, have, have said to young people starting businesses, you need to do this. And I know when we, you know, when we do presentations, you know, often the question is, well, so why, okay, so you're making dog collars and that's great. So, but why do you feel you have to give 10% to the SPCA? And often the answer is, well, we just thought we, we had to. I said, well, no, why don't you give nothing to charity, grow a great company, and then give something back in 10 years when you've made your first uh, couple of million. So I think it's really interesting because I think there's so much pressure on people to do everything well yeah. now, you know, to be ethical, to be social, to be environmental. And, and sometimes that, you know, that that is difficult. And for example, you know, because I know that you've you've got this great product, Johan, and I'm sure it's even part of your thinking. You know, I think sometimes, and it's especially true in New Zealand, mm. the motive of I just want to make money. It's I'm not sure that it's socially acceptable anymore. No, I, I totally <laughs> agree. Yeah, like, which is it? Yeah, well, let's, let's get into that. Why, why, when yeah. did that happen? I feel like, especially in, like New Zealand, um, like it's saying I'm going to create a business to make money, it's like, no, that's that's not good, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a real problem because, you know, there are multiple ways to give back, even if it's not through money or philanthropy. Sometimes something as simple as creating a product that makes somebody else's life better is more valuable than... Or happy. Yeah, yeah. like, or, isn't that more valuable than... And 10% to yeah. the SPCA. Now, look, no, if there's anyone watching who works for the SPCA, I'm not bagging them. But, uh, look, Super isn't that so SPCA, interesting? universities, yeah. schools, we're just bagging everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but um, isn't it interesting? Because I think it is in this country. Uh, it, it is specific in some ways to New Zealand, and it's wonderful. I mean, I, I really love living in a place that focuses on things like manakitanga and kaitiatianga and mm. amazing values. But um, we had a, a, a business... A, a dean in the business school, uh, Professor Ian Williamson, American guy, and he was reflecting after uh, being here for a couple of years, and he said, you know, I find it really interesting. He'd, he'd been to a cross-country race where his son was competing, and I think the son, he must have been about eight or nine years old. Everyone who's lived in New Zealand knows the cross-country races that happen at primary school. And <laughs> he said, you know, it was really interesting because a, a child fell over in the race, and they stopped the race. Because, you know, you can't leave someone, you have to, hang on, everybody, wait, someone's fallen over, we have to make sure they're okay, and then we can start again. He said, if that happened in America, and a, and, and a kid falls over, 
you run faster. You want to get further ahead of that kid because there's that competitive spirit mm-hmm. that has seemed to be a good thing. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care for, for, for people who fall over or, or, you know, but it's a really interesting thing that's evolved in this country that we've become kinder in some ways, but that puts more pressure on young people mm-hmm. to not just be really clever innovators and great business people, but also to do all these other things as well, that we, we didn't have to do those things, but we expect, even it's so interesting for Johan to say that that's not an acceptable thing. And I think that would be really interesting for our, our business leaders and our mm. you know, leaders to reflect upon, why isn't that a good thing? Why isn't creating a business that creates a cool product, adds value or makes money? You know, when did that stop being something that people in this country can aspire to? Yeah, I'm just going to wrap it up. Essentially what... You know, interestingly here, we were talking a little bit about how the systems aren't quite matching the needs in a way. So, you know, we've got a, a school system, you've often heard this, which is was built for the first industrial revolution, mm-hmm. and it's now trying to teach kids in the fourth industrial revolution. So there's a real gap there in terms of it. And, and ultimately what's happening is areas like governance and environmental and societal drive drivers uh, are are now becoming kind of vague because they're being put into that give 10 percent here to, to charity but those are core parts of who we are but we just maybe we're not articulating them well enough in the in the system um look i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up there it's been a fascinating discussion uh you know we've talked a little bit about who gen z are we've talked about uh how i think we've come to some sort of uh, of agreement that the, the age bracket, no matter what point of history that is, has the same sort of spirit and desire to take things on. But everyone has a different context that they operate within. And the Gen Z context is unique, as all, all have been. But there's an urgency around it, uh, about its innovation. There's a few new difficulties layering on top because of the digital world within which you're you're developing. Um but ultimately, that ins- that spark, that that flame to to take on the challenges, is the same as it's always been. It's now, it's just burning brightly in you guys. Um, so thank you. Um, I'm going to wrap up by asking you one last question each, which was: if you had to divide, if you had to define Gen Z in three words, what three words would you choose? So, I mean, thinking about what we've already discussed today, we've talked a little bit about are they the most important cohort? We know how much money that they've got to spend. We know the challenges. We know the opportunities and the strengths that you have. Looking back through uh, everything we've discussed, I'll start with you, Laura. How would you? Can we do it? Collect? Can we do it collectively? Ooh, so we nice. have one one word because I think we might build on each other. Otherwise, we might choose the same three words. I like, that. Words, I like right? that. Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a cool. good idea. I like the the collaboration. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got nine words from the three of us. Oh, cool. I thought I only had to come up with one word now. No, no, oh, still no, three words. That easily. Just, <laughs> just get a bit more time to think about it. <laughs> um, angry. Ooh, good. In a good way. Um, informed. Energized. Back to you now, Digital. And connected. Open. Thoughtful. Confident. The future. That's two words. But we'll let you have it. (laughs) Awesome. Great a great way to to end. Um Laura, Johan, Steve, thank you so much for coming and spending time on the couch. It's been a fascinating way to start our series of podcasts on Gen Z and innovation. Uh, thank you for joining us. The next uh, podcast episode that we'll be, we'll be um, focused on is on why is innovation so important to Gen Z and what does it look like?